We thought it would be a good idea. Every year, there's sort of a, a, a strong consideration of what to talk about, how to start the year, because how you start something is very important. And uh, we always want to start with a conversation that's important, meaningful for the year. And, and so for, for months, we, we, this, this was building uh, within my heart, and, and, and I feel like it's a very important conversation and, and a topic to, to consider, and that is the topic of endurance. Uh, endurance is probably not something we, we talk about enough or, or consider enough, but uh, it is so vital in the life of believers, and uh, we thought it would be a good way to start 2023. And so uh, I, I'd like for everyone, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, we're going to go to James chapter 1. And uh, we're spending, uh, I don't know, another week or so here uh, in this, these verses. Uh, the, the, the book of James, written by a guy named James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so talk about living in, in the, having the spotlight on someone else in your family. Uh, man, how do you live up to that? It's like, ah, this, is, this is Jesus and his brother Jimmy. Um, but James is a potent, powerful, direct book of the Bible. Uh, it, he, he has no filter whatsoever, and uh, it, it's pretty intense. And, and he's talking to um, Jewish Christians, Messianic, uh, Christi- uh, Messianic Jews who live outside of or uh, are located outside of Jerusalem at this time. They've been driven out, and there is so much persecution. There is so much oppression. Uh, they're going through a, a, a lot of difficulty, troubles, and trials. Uh, that's why he opens his book this way. So if we start just verses 2 and 4, uh, 2 through 4, uh, this is the statement in James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Another translation would say endurance and let endurance have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete lacking in nothing um it's it, the trials themselves are bad uh are negative and so in no way is james saying hey count it all joy because trials are awesome uh tribulations are the best can i get a fist bump how great are uh, difficulties and struggles. No, that, it, it, they're not good. Um, but the statement and, and what he's getting at is the, the results of the trials are uh, priceless and important. And so what happens, what develops, what occurs through hardships, through the tough seasons of life is uh, are, 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 it's a priceless thing that you can't get otherwise. The growth and the change and the transformation that happens through hardship, you can't pick up unless you go through hardship. And uh, it doesn't occur otherwise. And so uh, what he says is these results, they produce something beautiful. And, uh, and what they do is they test our faith, and, uh, which is an interesting statement. Uh, going through trials, it, it tests our faith. In other words, it tests our trust in Jesus. And uh, it shows us where our, our, our trust is. It shows us where our faith resides. And so that testing of our faith produces endurance. And in uh, that endurance, he goes on to say, it, it brings us to a place of completeness. Uh, it, it brings us to a place of perfection is the word he uses. But uh, that means to, to be complete. And, and so in other words, uh, it forges us into who we are meant to be. 
it brings us to the fulfillment of who we truly are. And so um, now an essential part of this process of walking through trials and endurance, an essential part of that is, is a commitment to do tough stuff even when the doing of the tough stuff gets increasingly tougher. So uh, a commitment to an endurance is, is to a willingness and, and a commitment to do tough stuff and, and to, to endure tough seasons doing tough stuff. Now, my personal preference, I, I don't know about you, and I'm not going to speak for you, I love when things are easy. I love that. Uh, I love when things are convenient and comfortable. Um, I, I've, I've been watching TV. This is, uh, this is a little embarrassing, but I've been watching TV. And uh, I'm like, I kind of want to change the channel. I want I to watch something else. And then I go to reach for the remote, and the remote is like across the room. And I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I'll watch this. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting up. That's silly. Um, I don't, when we were kids, a lot of us grew up kind of uh, during the, the, the rise of the remote control. What a novelty that was. Previous to remote controls, that's why you had children. Children were the remote control. Like, ah, go turn it. Okay. So uh, we, we, have, we have younger versions of ourselves that have more energy to do what we don't want to do. I remember my daughter one time, I said, honey, uh, we had you so that you would clean the kitchen. She's like, that's not why you had me. It's like, sorry, uh, the truth is out. But uh, I, I love convenience. I love being comfortable. Man, I love comfort. Uh, the older I get, the more I love being comfortable. Uh, I'll go to Walmart and I'll see people wearing pajamas. I watch old movies and I'm like in the 1950s and, and people wore suits like all the time everywhere. And they always had a hat on, which is great. And now it's like we're, we're relegated to PJs. And, and, I, and I used to look at them with contempt. I'm like, come on, kids. But now I'm like, that looks comfortable. I'm a little, I'm a little jelly, to be honest with you. I wish I wore my jammies. Uh, so I, 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 I get it. I love being comfortable. I like things being easy. Um, I like cruise control. What a great invention that is. I like cruise control. I like just kind of just, just being coasting and things being easy. My preference is that, uh, that things go easily for me. But truthfully, my preference is often at odds with the priorities that God places before me. And, and I think that's, and that's kind of what the conversation I want to have today is, is really that's the battle as far as endurance is concerned. It is, it is a competition between my personal preference and the priority that God set before me. That's the battle. In fact, if, if we're going to endure, if we're going to endure the tough seasons of life and, and doing the tough things that God's called us to do, at some point, we've got to click into a new gear where the, the priority outweighs the preference. There is a, a moment of time uh, in, 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 the, in the hours leading up to his crucifixion where you find Jesus in this very vulnerable state um, it, it, to the point where the Bible describes him as bleeding on a rock. Uh, where he's trembling so much the capillaries beneath his skin are bursting. And, 
uh, he actually sweats blood in that moment. And, and he, is, he is anticipating the most horrific crucifixion imaginable, uh, the most horrific, and not even just the weight of the physical pain, but the spiritual significance of taking the weight of all of our sins upon his shoulders. It, it is a, a, a really pivotal moment that he is in a garden in Gethsemane uh, anticipating, and, and he is faced with this, uh, this dichotomy between a preference and the priority, the plan that God set before. I, I want to I turn your attention to Matthew chapter 26, and, and just briefly, this is the moment I'm speaking to. Uh, it describes what he faced in that time, and it says this uh, in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and, uh, and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, uh, even to death. Remain here, watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his faith and, face and, and he prayed saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, pause there. This is his preference. There's another way. I would love to have uh, option B. Uh, if there's any other path, if there's any other way, he's about to, he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He faced rejection so that we would never face rejection. So that we would always be face to face with our creator. And so he, he, he took the weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of all our, of our sin. And he says, if there's any other way, the, the cup of judgment, can we let that pass? That's his preference. But then he continues with this. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he yields his preference uh, to the priority that God has set before him. And this is the struggle that we all face. Now, uh, granted, the weight of the world's on his shoulders. Sometimes for us, it's, it's, it's not as big. It doesn't seem as important, but the struggle for us is, is real. And we face this struggle continually. Um, I would prefer, personally, again, to stay comfortable. And, and ultimately, I would love to stay in my lane and only do what is naturally comfortable for me. I would love to, to spend my life only doing what I'm naturally good at. No one likes to be stretched. No one likes to be, no one likes to be uh, pushed outside of their comfort zone. It is, it's uncomfortable. And my preference would be I would love to only do what's naturally easy for me. The, the unfortunate thing for me is the priorities that God has set before me are, are uh, priorities that I am not good at. What he's called me to do, I'm not good at. And nothing that I'm called to do is easy for me. I'm a lifelong introvert. And I, I remember I, I signed up for a ministry that traveled in uh, all across the country, and we kind of lived out of a suitcase for a year and, and a half of my life doing this ministry. 
And, uh, and part of that was, was comedy and getting in front of people. And then one of the things that I was asked to do was uh, to start teaching a workshop uh, in, other, in churches and, and places all across the country. And, and so uh, I, we were practicing. We were learning this stuff. And we were based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we were training and learning this stuff. And I remember rehearsing this presentation, this workshop, in front of the director of this ministry. And I got up and I presented my, my part and sat down. And that director stood in front of me and the rest of the team and said, Chris, that I've never wanted to not listen to something more in my life. He said, I wanted to be anywhere else but here. That was awful. And uh, he proceeded to tell me that I am naturally ungood at speaking. See, even, even, my, even my vocabulary is a little suspect. Ungood, he said. Um, I am not good at communicating. I heard that many times throughout that ministry time. And, uh, and so I, 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 I've never felt naturally adept at ministry, at leadership. I am the worst delegator in the world. I'm not good at uh, at delegating any sort of task or responsibility. Um, I I came out of ministry where where it was fine that everybody else is inconvenienced except for the minister. (laughs) That person wants to be comfortable. I'm uh, currently doing ministry where I don't want anyone inconvenienced but me. Uh, And so I'm not good at this. Not to mention the fact that along the way, God's called me to uh, uh, have a event space business with my wife so that the church can have a home to meet in and the event space business can, can pay the, the rent so that we can have a home together. And so I've become bivocational, only the, the, the bivocation, the other job that I do, I don't get paid for. It just goes into paying rent so that we have a home. I'm awful at it. I'm not good at it. Uh, there is so many uh, moments in time during this career that I've, that's been added on to me at 45 years old that I'm like, why me? So basically nothing that I do is comfortable for me. Uh, nothing I do am I naturally good at. I don't even know what my strengths are because God's not giving me enough time to figure that out. He hasn't left me alone enough. I'm pretty good at Street Fighter 2. I'm pretty good at that with Blanca. If you want to ever, uh, I'll take you down. Any Street Fighter 2? Hadouken! Anyone? Anyone? My man, Mike Dahlberg. Okay, I got one guy here that's like, I know what you're talking about. The rest of you are like, why did I come to this church? Um, I'm pretty good at 80s trivia. I'm, I'm really, if you ever want to go to 80s trivia night, I know a lot of stupid things about the 80s. And that's kind of all I know. Uh, but as far as doing what God's called me to do, not great. But the truth is, I'm at a stage in my life where, where he's got me. He's captured my heart. He's captured my focus. And I'm at a place where I'm like, God, I, if there's another way to do this, if you want me to do something else, that'd be great. But not, not my will. Yours be done. And so I think it's valuable to allow the priority that, that God has for us to grow greater than the preferences that we have for ourselves, the preference of being comfortable, the preference of making life easy and making the path uh, less bumpy than it could be if we were just being obedient and being led by the Holy Spirit. So um, it's important to understand that this conversation 
about endurance that we're going to have for the next few weeks has nothing to do with our personal strength. That is a very important thing to understand, that this is not a conversation about my personal willpower or my personal strength. Uh, that is not the conversation. In fact, I would say this, true endurance is the opposite of that. It is the opposite of leaning on our own strength. I, I want to turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I want to look at verses 9, just 9 and 10. And this, of course, is the Apostle Paul, who is the LeBron James of, of pastors and, and uh, religious leaders. He was the best of the best. And, and, and he makes this statement. Uh, he, meaning God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness. Man, that sentence baffles me. I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. This kind of reminds you of what James says. Count it all joy when you face these things. Uh, I, I do these things for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am actually strong. Uh, a life of faith, which is a life that we're called to live. We're called to live by faith, walk by faith. We're, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith is a really big deal. It's the good fight. Any other fights, the wrong fight, the good fight is faith. And a life lived in faith or by faith is a life leaning into Weakness. It is not a life of personal strength. It is a life of leaning into personal weakness. It is, in, in other words, it is not a comfortable life. Living and walking by faith is sort of the opposite of living a comfortable life. God does not work within our comfort zones. God works in and through faith. God's, God's office is not within our comfort zones. Our, God's office is at the end of our rope. At the end of me, that is the beginning of Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I decrease, he increases. He is in me, I am in him. It is Christ. He is central. He is, he is only. He is everything. So that means it's his grace, his strength that is sufficient within my weaknesses and my lack of strength. There's an old song, perhaps you've heard it. Uh, 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 they are weak. He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. They are weak. He is strong. That's, that line in that song is speaking to children. Little ones... To him belong. They are weak. He is strong. It's a good line. Whoever wrote that. It's a good line, but it's, it's, it's incomplete. It's almost to say they, those little guys, the little guys, they're weak. Maybe when they grow up, they'll be strong believers like me. No, the, the, the fullness of what's being, what needs to be said there is we're all weak. He's strong. 
Not they, we, me. I'm weak. On my best day, my righteousness, my personal righteousness is filthy rags. I don't come to the table with all my strengths and God's like, I can use a guy like you. Read the Bible. God uses 100% boneheads. All of them. My, my wife and I were having a very spiritual conversation, which we often do. We're always talking about the word of the Lord. <laughs> Honey, where would you like to have dinner? Well, let me turn your attention to uh, Leviticus. Uh, um, we were talking about David, and I was like, okay, David, what, a, what an interesting story that is. King David, anointed king as a teenager for no reason whatsoever. Just here's the prophecy. You're going to be king. He's like, okay. Can you imagine an apathetic teacher? Whatever. He's probably wearing his pajamas. <laughs> um, whatever. He's doing a TikTok dance. Can I interrupt your dance for a second? Hold on. Um, you're going to be king of all this. Whatever. He grows up. He does some impressive things. I mean, let's not... Let's not Let's not gloss over the fact he killed a, a lion, a tiger, a bear, oh my, and he protected sheep. And then all of a sudden, Goliath comes along. He's like, I got him. Steps up to the plate, does something that's extremely tough. And everything, you're like, man, this is the archetype. This is the guy. I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. His name, David, means beloved. God loves this guy. And then that whole Bathsheba thing happens. And it's kind of just downhill from there, isn't it? He, uh... He sees a woman bathing on the roof. Or who does that? He's like, eh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text her. They, uh, as the kids would say, hook up. <laughs> what a weird sermon this is. She's preggers. I'm just using euphemisms because I don't know how many children are in the room. Uh, <laughs> baby bump. Um, so he's like, this is going to be scandalous. Uh, I better do something about this. And so he, he, he tries to get, uh, the husband to come home from, from fighting for him, for his country, for his nation. And, uh, the husband's like, I'm gonna sleep on the porch cause this isn't right for me to be home. He's like, Oh my gosh, his plan is just out the window. And so he has this guy killed. So adultery, murder, it's, it's not going well. Do you see God just like throwing the towel like, well, <laughs> welp, wrong on, I was wrong on this guy. No. God stays with him. He stays with him through the end. David has a son, Solomon. It's like, I'm going to do everything through Solomon. It's going to be great. Solomon dies far from God. Far from God. So it's like, God, did you pick the wrong people? Mm -mm. He only works within weakness. He only uses misfits. He only, he only works, the, grace only works on people it finds dead enough to raise. Grace is sufficient for the people who know they need it. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. That's the only caveat of grace. 
and there is a large portion of our culture that really wants to embrace strength, personal significance and strength. And that's what the world preaches. That's what you hear both inside the church and outside the church. You can do it. You got it. You can do this. But the reality is, no, you can't. I tell you what, if you want to grow your church fast, if you want to, if you want to pack the pews, preach, you can do it. But if you want to, if you want to dial up the attrition of your church and keep that back door, uh, the revolving door on the back, on the back of the church, then preach, no, you really can't. But as the Apostle Paul puts it, that weakness is where God does his best work. Living there in a realization and being stretched outside of and beyond what's naturally comfortable for you, that's where God does his best work. So a life lived in faith is a life leaning into weakness. Faith is not comfortable. Just, just the statement, Jesus says, I need you to deny yourself if you're going to follow me. And then take up your cross. What about that sounds comfortable? The picture of what this is all about is Jesus giving his life in sacrifice, dying, bleeding out on a cross, naked and shamed in front of all the witnesses. How is that comfortable? It's not. It's a bumpy path. The, the, the path of faith is bumpy but it is the only path to a fulfilling, fulfilled life. Now, within a life of faith, God sets forth priorities for all of us. Now, the priorities that he sets before us get more specific for each one of us. Each one of us is called, we're created uniquely, and there's unique priorities that God puts in your heart. There's things that you are passionate about that keep you awake at night, that you care about, that there's things in your heart that he put there uniquely within your heart. And sometimes we get frustrated that other people don't share that same thing, but it's specifically you. That's how he's made you. But then there's bigger priorities that we all share that he sets before all of us. And we shared one of those actually last week. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 6, uh, we talked about this. Uh, briefly last week. And this is, this is a, a, a priority that God has set before all of us. And normally, whether it's a broader priority for all of us or a more specific priority just for us uniquely, uh, regardless of, of which one of those things that you're, folk, you're looking at, usually, more often than not, they all stretch us beyond what we're comfortable doing. They, they all move us outside of our comfort zone. And so this is one of them. Galatians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good. In other words, endure. For in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those in the family of faith. Especially here, together. So this statement is to say... I'm setting before all of you believers. All believers share this priority. The priority is we. 
over me. The priority is to continually give of yourself for the people that God's connected you with into in community, in the family of faith. There's nothing in Scripture that, that highlights Jesus, my Bible, and me. I don't need anybody else. That is not Christianity. There's a, the author of Hebrews speaks to the same priority that, that Paul does in, to the church in Galatia. He, he, he shares it in a different way, different words, but it's the same priority. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us continue, uh, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Same conversation. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In other words, the priority is this. And not just this. Sunday mornings are amazing. But also doing life together outside of Sunday mornings. Encouraging, continually encouraging and building each other up. The Bible talks about the, the body of Christ building itself up in love. You find that in the book of Ephesians. That's the, that's the priority, is we're building each other up in love. And, and so much of, of life and culture in this world is to say, no, focus on you. You do you. Stay in your lane. And people just become accessories, inconveniences, or assistance to you creating your own existence. And Jesus, the whole picture of faith is my life for you, not my will. Deny yourself. Your will be done. This priority is not for some, but for all. This is set this is set forward for all believers. This is, this is not just a unique... Some, somebody has the spiritual gift of being in church and being together. No. This is what we're all called to do. It's the vine and the branches. Abide in me, the vine. You are branches together in me. If you're independent, you're a stick. We're called to be together. But... Both of these conversations in Galatians and Hebrews, it, it, it gives you the idea that there's an understanding, both by Paul and the author of Hebrews, there is an understanding that this isn't easy. Galatians says, don't lose heart doing good. Hebrews says, uh, that don't, don't forsake this. Don't give up on this. Don't get tired of doing this. Endure. It's not easy, but there is a, a massive advantage to doing tough stuff. What we're called to do is love, even when it's difficult to love. We're called to serve, even when it's difficult to serve. We're called to give, even when it's difficult to give. See, in a world of technology and convenience... In short attention spans, we see any sort of struggle or difficulty as a stop sign. But really, if you, if you embrace what God's saying through his scripture, count it all joy 
when you see the when you see struggles, when you see difficulty, when you see tough stuff, it's a green light. It means go for it. And it means don't stop. Endure. Because it does something within us and it brings to life the fullness of who we are. In in Romans 8, which is maybe one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, it is powerful, it is amazing. But in Romans 8, the, the Apostle Paul, he starts off with, you know, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And, and he speaks to, throughout the chapter, all the impossibly uh, difficult things that we're continually confronted with as believers. And he, he speaks to tribulation, distress, persecution. He says this, we're, we're being put to death all day long. He says, we're like sheep going to slaughter. So as bad as you think these things are, it's worse. I mean, we're being put to death. This is crushing. But then he follows up that very dramatic statement with this promise. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Despite being crushed, despite being let down and hurt and disappointed and inconvenienced, despite the fact that we are being put to death all day continually, being led to the slaughter like like lambs, he says we are more than conquerors. He, He speaks to the greatest aspect of who we are found in the lowest points that we face. It's all a call to resist quitting through tough stuff. This conversation in in Romans 8, the conversation in the whole Bible, the whole whole Bible speaks to endurance. The whole Bible speaks to not giving up. You know, there's, there's so many preachers that will preach the sin problem 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I hate sin. I especially hate my sin. That's the sin that bothers me the most, not yours, mine. But at the end of the day, we don't really have a sin problem. We have a believing problem. Jesus took the entire weight of all of our sins. He became sin. Jesus, with his sacrifice, solved the sin problem. We're not punished for our sin because Jesus was punished for our sin. We are righteous, not because we're righteous, because Jesus is righteous and Jesus gives us his righteousness. Our problem is not a sin problem. Our problem is a belief problem, a faith problem. Do we trust that Jesus took that upon himself? Do we we allow that to be our reality? Living by faith is trusting that Jesus has done for us what we can never, ever do for ourselves. So the focus and the emphasis moves to our Savior and off of me. But even within that, there's fear. Was Jesus' sacrifice enough? Is his grace sufficient for me? And so therefore, because we can't truly rest in that, relax in that, we live with guilt and shame and fear. And part of the fear that we struggle with is a fear of disappointment. It's fear of failure. It's fear of not measuring up. 
most people don't try new things because of fear. They don't move outside of their comfort zone, not because they're lazy, but because they're scared. I'm an introvert. God said, I'm calling this introvert to speak to humans for a living. It's ridiculous. But it's not unprecedented. Moses had a major speech impediment. And God said, I want you to be my mouthpiece. And even as if God's unaware, he says, hey, uh, Father, there's an issue with this. Your plan is flawed. My mouth doesn't work very well. Exactly. Mine does. I'm your strength. It's going to work. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's what he does. So if you are feeling uncomfortable, beautiful. That's what faith feels like. Faith feels like being stretched. Faith feels like I personally am not entirely cool with this. If it doesn't require faith, it doesn't require God. If it doesn't require faith, it doesn't require grace. And we are meant to live and walk by faith. I, I want to end with a quote. This is uh, from Theodore Roosevelt. And um, this is a, a, a beautiful quote that I was made aware of by um, Brene Brown, who wrote a book kind of about this quote. And um, I'd never really, if I'd heard it, I didn't remember it. But uh, since then, it's become a favorite of mine. But uh, I want to share this, and, and, and I'll close here. It goes like this. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So that is his place, that, uh, that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. We, we've been painted a picture that failure is not an option. That only do the things that are safe to do that you're guaranteed to be good at. That is not a life of faith. That is a life of comfort. And once again, God does not work within our comfort zones. He works within our faith. I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear me. And I want you to take this incredibly personally. And don't, don't, don't deflect this onto the person next to you. You are called. You are chosen. Not just to be a human being. You were called, you were chosen 
to reflect Christ as only you can do. No one else can do that for you. God created you on purpose for a reason. You're not a mistake. You're you're not overlooked. You're not unseen. You're not a wallflower. God has uniquely created you for a reason. And there is this continual call and a draw that is loving, that is kind, that is drawing us out of just living an invisible, comfortable life. He's calling us into the arena. We're not called to be spectators watching other people do great things. We're called to be in the game. He's fearfully, you're fearfully, wonderfully made. He's, he's crafted you. He's created you for a reason. And only you can be that. Only you can do that. To endure is to trust God in the process. That's why the Bible says it's the testing of our faith. Do we trust God when it's tough? I, I don't want to get too specific. And don't, my, this message is not about me. Just but before example, my wife and I ended 2022 and stepped into 2023 with a, um, a dump truck of potential issues. It just decided to back up to our front yard and just unload. And through it all, we're having to remind each other, trust God. In, in so many times in our lives, the problems seem bigger than everything else. Faith is allowing God to be bigger than our problems. It's trusting that he's got us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. This may be too big for me to manage, but this is nowhere near his threshold. I love you. I got you. In fact, the promise is not that bad things are never going to happen, but he's going to turn the bad things into good. Back to James. Count it all joy. When the dump trucks beep, 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 and I know it's coming. I'm not clicking my heels doing cartwheels like, yes, Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Have the banner and the tambourine. I'm not doing that. I'm, I, I probably sound more like David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? What is this? It's like when your dog piddles on the carpet. What is this? What is this? Why are you asking a dog? That's kind of what we're doing. God, what is this? And God's like, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I want you to take your focus and your attention off that and fix it on me. Next week, we're going to have a conversation about this amazing, this amazing shift that is presented to us in the book of Hebrews, where it says Jesus endured the cross 
He despised the shame. He endured all the hardship, all that came with the cross. And the Bible said he did that because of the joy set before him. And then in order for us to endure, the Bible says we can, we can finish our race. We can endure our race. We can endure our life. We can have endurance if we fix our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's got you. He loves you more than you love you. He's going to work it out for you. All that we're asked to do is stay with him. Remain, abide, endure, trust him.